Amen. If you can be opening your Bibles to the book of Colossians in chapter 1. Am I not on? Children, yeah, children, go, go, go. I didn't think children needed an invitation to leave, did they? <laughs> Praise the Lord, man. I, it's an exciting day, when, uh, exciting time when the kids get to go. Uh, I'm going to uh, open with this first, but I won't talk about it till later in uh, the sermon. And in fact, uh, if you're paying attention to that little film clip, um, and I had this sermon done, and then I watched that. We did them a couple of years ago, and, uh, and when I looked at it, I was like, oh, good. That's like basically what I was going to say. So, um, so I hope you were paying attention because you got a good, uh, a kind of a good context now. For this verse, and it's Colossians 1.27, and that's on page 1,168 in that Bible in the pew, if you're using it. Other than that, it's toward the back. It's in the New Testament, kind of sort of in the first half, late first half of the book, of the back. Um, but here's the verse. Let me just read that verse uh, to you. Um, it actually starts on page 1,169, just so you don't get confused. Top of the page, left column. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory, uh, of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. All right, let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we come into your presence, and indeed we come uh, with uh, the biblical hope. Lord, we, we come to say we know that you are God, that there is no other, that you revealed yourself by putting on flesh, by entering human a kind human existence, living that perfect life, dying for us on the cross, and rising again on the third day. And all who believe you and trust you uh, with our sin, you take it away so that we can have this hope. You come to live in us now. And we thank you for that, in, uh, Lord, in Jesus' name. And then we also ask that today you would rebuke uh, our enemy, rebuke uh, any of his minions, rebuke all spiritual forces that would come against us, Lord. Uh, we ask you to do that for us in the mighty name of Jesus, and we thank you for the grace given to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, yeah, uh, you learned a little bit about the word hope because we kind of misuse that word today, don't we? Uh, when, when in America or in, in the English language, we use the word hope, we mean a desperation. And uh, he gave the definition I'd like to give you. He, he called it uh, an expectation, a tense expectation. I like to say in the New Testament, it's a confident expectation. It's you haven't seen it, but you know it's coming. You know it's going to happen. And so it's that kind of hope. Uh, I don't know if any of you still uh, use layaway. I remember my mom and dad used to always have a, a Christmas club. Anybody remember Christmas clubs? Put $5 a, a, a paycheck or a month and... And at the end of the year, that would actually buy the toys that we needed. And so my parents, not, we weren't real wealthy, so they did a Christmas club every year. Take it out in December and, and get us some Christmas gifts and things like that. Um, but there, there is an example, and, and it's hinted to here. And in Ephesians, it, there, there's a verse that says it clearly. And I'll say more about what the, the spiritual end of this is. But this is an example of confident expectation, and that's hope. And, and it's not putting it on layaway or, or getting a Christmas club, but how many of you have ever bought a house? 
If you bought a house, raise your hand. Thank you. At some point in your life. If you haven't done that yet, talk, somebody has. Because in that process, you know, you hunt for it, you look for it, you've gone to the bank, you've, you've made sure of what you could afford to buy, and you find the one you want. You, this is it. You've saved your money, and you say, you tell those people, I want to buy your house. I'll pay this much for it. You negotiate a little bit, and you come to an agreement, and you write out a check for $1,000, typically could be 5000 could be 10%, it could be whatever they'll accept. But if you don't buy that house, you don't get that money back. So they're pretty confident you're going to come through. And you are expecting to come through. And you're anticipating the day. Here's something you cannot do. You can't give them that $1,000 check. Tell them you'll give them the rest, you know, when it all is settled and closed. And before any of that happens, go in and start painting walls and rearranging stuff. Because you don't own it yet. It's just a down payment. Everybody understand that even if you didn't buy a house? That's how it works. I will show you the Bible tells us that God gave us a down payment in a minute. But right now, I want you to turn back all the way to the beginning of your Bibles to Genesis 3, which was Sunday school lesson today. And guess what? It's on page 3, so that's going to be easy to find. Here's what I want you to take home with you today. We're talking about hope today and hope fulfilled, actually. And the statement I want you to take home with you today is you cannot have hope, confident expectation, without anticipation. And here's why I, I, I put that that way. I, I wanted you to get that definition in case you didn't hear me say it. You've heard it several times now. You heard it in the film. I've said it. Now you see it. You cannot have hope, which is confident expectation, without anticipating something. And I, I feel like the average Christian in, in North America, at least, because this is our context, this is where we live, it seems at least a, a, a large group of us don't think much about heaven, don't think much about Jesus coming back, don't think much about eternity. We're more concerned with the here and now. We're more concerned with the house we're buying or where we're going to get this or that or the other thing or the newest thing or the latest thing. We worry about the details of life when Jesus told us in Matthew, Sermon on the Mount, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this stuff is just added to you. He said, birds don't sow and they get to eat. Flowers don't make clothes and yet they're more beautifully dressed than Solomon. And he said, so seek first his kingdom and he'll take care of your needs. But we're more concerned with our so-called needs here and now, aren't we? we? We want what we want and we want it now. And you can't have this confident hope without anticipating it a little bit about looking forward to it without saying man I can't wait till that happens I don't know if you've ever known an older saint who went to be with the Lord and you know some people would this isn't everybody's experience but I've heard so many of them say I'm ready to go home I'm ready to leave I don't want to live here anymore and, uh, and in fact, even the world kind of gets that because there's plenty of stories and movies and TV shows and books written where somebody somehow gets to live forever and after a little while they get tired of it. 
Because this world is not perfect. This world is not our home. We were not made for this world. We're made for the world to come if you've been born again. If you're still in your flesh, you're made for this world, and you'll live according to the passion of this world. But once you become a citizen of the kingdom, this just isn't good enough anymore. And you're content to live here like Abraham, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, was content to live in tents because he was looking for the city, not a city, the city whose builder and maker is God. And that's where we ought to be as Christians. So here in Genesis 3.15, I want you to see that when hope was first promised by God, it is in this verse, which again, I didn't know was going to be part of Sunday school lesson this morning. But it is this verse where God first hints at what he's going to do. It's not a declarative, uh, it's a declarative statement, but it doesn't say, hey, I'm, it, to give us all the details. It, 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 it's a hint. It, here's what it says in Genesis 3.15. In, in chapters 1 and 2, there is no Satan. Chapter 3, we get to see Satan come in. He confuses Eve. He, he deceives Eve. And then Adam willfully sins, and sin comes on them, and now it's passed down uh, from Adam to all of us who uh, were born as human beings. We are born with that sinful nature and the wrath of God and the judgment of God on us. But God gave us hope in verse 15. He's talking to Satan, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He's not just talking about physical Eve. He's talking about the spiritual children that, uh, that are going to come much later, the, the people that will come to know him. And then he says, but that offspring is going to be her seed. And since the children are gone, you understand that women do not have the seed. Men do. And women uh, don't carry that. So when he said her seed, he's hinting at, there's going to be a virgin who's going to give birth to a child. And it says, he, that, that person born to that woman, will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's the first promise that God's going to do something great. And I think it is a, a matter of joy to realize that as soon as mankind sinned, God came and gave us hope. He gave us a hint. He gave us some confident expectation. I don't necessarily believe Adam and Eve understood everything that that meant like we do because we get 66 books later and we've got time and we've got revelation of God through the scripture to begin to grasp hold of what God was saying there. But I don't think Adam and Eve were hopeless, do you? God still showed up after they sinned. In fact, he said, your leaf covering isn't good enough. In fact, there's got to be a sacrifice. And he took one of those animals and killed it and made clothes out of its skin for them, showing them it's going to take a sacrifice and it's going to take a blood sacrifice for you to get past this sin that has come on you. And this promise God expanded through the Bible. I just listed some names. I listed names that popped in my head and then I, I, I said a few things about them. Noah, Abraham, Joseph, David, Isaiah, and, and many others that God expanded on this so that we would know it. With Noah, we see that Noah and his family were not taken out of the flood. They were spared through the flood, in the flood. And in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as having gone into that flood, into that suffering. Water in the Old Testament represents trouble and chaos and sin. And Jesus was baptized into our sin 
for us. And he endured that judgment of God, that baptism, and came out the other side safely and says he'll bring us through it safely. That was Noah. You didn't realize Noah was trying to preach Jesus, did you? Abraham, of course, he got a miracle child of promise. He was a hundred and his wife was 90. That's pretty old to be having children, don't you think? Even for back then. You know how I know that? Sarah knew that. Sarah laughed and said, man, that time's gone for me. What do you mean? I'm going to have a baby. And God said, why'd you laugh? I didn't laugh. Yeah, you did. I heard you. So they named the child laughter. <laughs> exactly. He was the child of promise. And Abraham believed God. The Bible says it was counted him for righteousness. Do you know if you're saved today, you're saved by the same thing, the same covenant with Abraham. You believed God and he counts that as righteousness. If you just say, I tra- we try to work up our righteousness, but we are, we're starting with inadequate tools because what we got is already ruined. It's not good enough. It's sinful. So we can't do righteousness in the eyes of God because he's perfectly holy. Remember what he said to Moses in the Sunday school lesson today? Take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground, sanctified, separated. You shouldn't be bringing all that mess in here because you're in the presence of God. We couldn't do anything to gain God's favor. And so he came and did it for us. He became perfect as a man. And Abraham trusted God for what he was going to do in the future. And it was counted as righteousness. Abraham just had hope. If you read Hebrews 11, when it talks about Abraham and others, said, these lived having never seen the fulfillment of the promise, but they believed to the end anyway. And God counts that for righteousness. Joseph, that I mentioned, he's a type of Christ. And he saved his family in Egypt. He brought them to Egypt, and they survived that famine, including Judah, who is the father of the clan that would give us Jesus. And Jacob prophesied that in Genesis chapter 49. I don't know if you've ever read. He brings his 12 boys together, and he says something about all of them and about Judah. He says, you're a lion. The scepter is never going to come out from between your feet. You're going to have a kingship that's going to last forever. And it started with David, a son of Judah, you know, great-grandson of Judah, and it ends with Jesus. And why is it an eternal kingdom? Because he didn't die. All the kings between, between David and Jesus kept conking out. But when Jesus came, he died, but he rose again. He lives forevermore. So he's still the king. Amen? And so Abraham's preaching that. Joseph is a, is, is a, a person that expands the story for us. And then David, who I just mentioned, he is the, the prototype king from whom the kingdom will never pass away. And if you don't realize, you can read Matthew, you can read in Luke about the birth of Jesus. In Matthew, we have a genealogy. In Luke, we have a genealogy, but they don't exactly match because one is uh, through a different son of David, but both Mary and Joseph were descendants of King David. And Je- if there had been a king, Joseph would have been it in Israel in those days. And this, again, was prophesied. And Jesus came to make the eternal kingdom, which is invisible, a visible kingdom. And now it's seen in the church. And we'll see that in Colossians when I come back to it. And then I said, Isaiah, that prophet is quoted the most. A child is given to us. His name is Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. 
And so all these people expanded the idea that gives us hope in what God was going to do. Now, you and I have the privilege of living way past the fulfillment of those prophecies of of Jesus coming. But I want you to see something about God fulfilling that hope. Look with me at Luke 1, page 1016. And we're going to start in verse 26. Well, actually, I'm going to talk about it because we won't have much time to read everything. Um, But in this passage is when the angel visits Mary. This is when the angel comes and visits Mary. and begins in verse 26. In the sixth month, what sixth month from what? Well, that's why you got to read the verse before it, which we're not going to do. But there was another baby born to an older couple in the Bible. uh, And that happened to be John the Baptist's parents. Uh, It was a priest, Zechariah, and his wife, uh, Elizabeth. And they were barren, and she was past childbearing age. And while Zechariah was in the temple doing his duty, uh, Gabriel came and visited him and said, Hey, your wife's going to have a baby. And he didn't believe him. He said, Okay, here's your sign. You're not going to be able to say a word for the next nine months. But you're going to have a baby. And when the first thing you're ever going to say is his name, John. Okay? So you're going to name him John. He told him the name of that, which means God's gracious gift. Uh, it's a very, very popular name. So in verse 26, in the sixth month, when Elizabeth is six months along in her uh, expectancy, the angel Gabriel sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, To a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, which means Savior, Savior of his people. He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how shall this be since I'm a virgin? The angel said, I'm winding up reading it all in case y'all didn't notice. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, greatest words in the Bible, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed. That is, by the way, the response of a saint. Lord, behold your servant. Do whatever you want to do with me. But I got a question for you based on those scriptures. In case you didn't know, a question was coming. It seems like the people were expecting a Messiah. In fact, I'll go ahead and tell you, they were. In the first century, in the century of the Bible, the New Testament is written. The Jewish people were looking for this Messiah. They knew he had been promised. In fact, when you get real deep into it, they thought it was going to be two different disciples. I mean, two different Messiahs, sorry. And the one that was coming from David would deliver them from political oppression. And we we don't have time to get into it. And even if we did, I don't know enough to talk about it. So I'm just going to tell you it's out there. You can look it up. So why why were they expecting this Messiah? 
it, it started kind of as a small idea, but the rabbis began to develop this idea until one of the famous rabbis, I can barely say his name, so it doesn't matter to you guys anyway. But here's a quote of his. Anyone who does not believe in him or who does not wait for his arrival has not merely denied the other prophets, but has also denied the Torah and Moses, our rabbi. He said, if you don't believe in the Messiah, you don't believe what Moses said. And so even the Jewish leaders and, and believers knew this. But why were they so desperate for the Messiah? Well, think about Assyria and then Babylon conquering Israel and taking them into captivity. Followed by the Greeks. Followed by the Romans. And that's where Jesus was born in. And they'd been conquered and they'd been uh, 400 years under other people's rule. They can't rule themselves. They can't do what they want to do as, as in their religion. And they want out from under this political oppression. So they are looking for that delivering Messiah who would rescue them from the rule of Rome and they could be a mighty nation once again. And then Mary is paid a visit. They're looking for a guy to come riding in on a white horse and God comes and talks to a little teenager and says, hey, you're going to have a baby. <laughs> How's that working? You know, and he said, well, I read it. And I noticed something as I was thinking in these terms. Never thought about this till this year when I was looking at that. I was thinking about why were they anticipating Mary was frightened. She was startled. But she wasn't confused. They were all talking about when's the Messiah coming? Where's he going to come from? What's going to happen? We don't know. We don't know. And when that angel talks to her, she, it dawns on her, is this how it's going to work? Okay, I'm willing. I'll be that person. I'll do that. I'll give birth to this child. But the reason the Pharisees missed it, they were looking for that other one. They were looking for the political one that was going to rescue them. And that's not why Jesus came. He does rescue us, but not from mere political oppression because the Messiah did not come so that we could have the right kind of king or president or dictator. He came that we might be set free and Jesus be our king. Right? Amen. Y'all got to get, get a hold of that. And so Mary's paid this visit and he announces the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman is going to conquer the one who has put man under the death penalty, the death sentence. And she's alarmed, but she's not confused. Oh, all that stuff I've been taught and it's going to be fulfilled in me. I can't believe it. And I didn't read the rest of Luke 1. I encourage you to do it because it's exciting. She says, Mom, Dad, I got to go visit Elizabeth because now how's she going to explain this? And she needs to go and hang out with Elizabeth figure. Maybe she can help me with this because in a few months, it's going to be obvious. And how am I going to tell them? And if you'll read the story, she goes to see Elizabeth. She's got a newly conceived baby in her womb. It can't be more than a week or two old. And this is for all those who believe that it's not a human in the body. And when Mary walks into the presence of Elizabeth, that six-month-old baby in her womb leaps for joy. And she starts prophesying because John the Baptist knew he was in the presence of his creator in that moment. And these guys are cousins and Six months before Jesus started, John started. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. He's coming out. You better get ready. And that name that was given to Mary says it all. Jesus, Savior. He's going to save his people 
from their sins. In Acts 4.12, the Bible says, There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so the third thing I want you to see is that hope is finally fulfilled. That hope is finally fulfilled. And that brings me to what I started with, Colossians chapter 1. And I, again, I can't go into great detail, but the context of this verse is the second coming. Um, Paul is speaking to these Colossian believers about the, the coming salvation in Christ when he comes back. And they're expecting it and they're looking for it. And he, and he calls it, he calls what's going on a, a mystery. I, I would ask you to look at verse 24. He says, I rejoice in my sons for your, for your sake in my flesh. I'm filling up lacking what was lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. That is the church. The body of God is the church. The body of Christ is the church. Of which I've become a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me. And to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden from ages past and is now revealed to his saints. And here is our verse. To them, to the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. The Jewish people are looking somebody to save them. God was looking, was coming to save everybody. Right? The Jews were looking for somebody just to save them. They're kind of greedy that way. They were supposed to be the evangelists, but they never were. They never brought the nations in. They brought in a few people, but they never brought all the nations into the, the kingdomhood of the Jewish people. But the Messiah came exactly for that. And Paul, who is the pre, premier Jewish scholar of his day, says this was a mystery that was hidden, and God gave it to me to tell the Gentiles so that you could see exactly what's going on, that it is Christ in you. It is not the, the body you were born with. According to Romans 2 at the end, it says, you're not a Jew, a person of God, a people of God, because you're born physically a Jew, but you're a people of God if you've been born spiritually. And that circumcision of the heart, and you've been saved. He says it very literally in Romans 2. And he says, this is your hope of glory, the mystery that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, Colossians and Ephesians are very similar books. They're written to two people, but Paul is on a, on, a, on a theme here, and there are a lot of similarities. And in Ephesians, he gives us a specific phrase. I told you about buying a house earlier. And here's what it says uh, in Ephesians. It says, he's given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment. In fact, Ephesians is just... Uh, Two books uh, before uh, that, I mean one book before that, and let me go ahead and turn to it. Colossians, I mean Ephesians 1, and it's verses 13 and 14, so that you can see it if you want to. Just Actually, just turn back a couple of pages and you'll be there. And it says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let me just 
to help you with this real quickly. Did you hear what it says? When you become a believer, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does sealed mean? It doesn't mean like Tupperware necessarily. You're not insulated, but in a sense we are. But it means like a government putting a seal on you. You belong to Christ. He puts that seal, and the seal of God on our life is the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit in these clay pots, in these earthen vessels, that God lives in us. And when we don't live as if God is living in us, the world will never get to know God because they don't see him because he, gave, he came to us to let people see Christ in us. Follow me so far? But Paul goes on to say in verse 14, which I read, he is the guarantee of our inheritance. That word guarantee is the same word we use as down payment. Now, some people grew up in a denomination or a religious tradition, or maybe you believe this, that you can become a Christian and then later you can lose your salvation. That is nowhere taught in the New Testament. I'd be glad to talk about that with anybody. You can show me a, a verse or verses that you think do, do teach that. But th- that's beside the point at the moment. Let me tell you why you can't. Who is... Th- the down payment of heaven. Say it with me. No. He's in us the hope of glory, but who actually came and sealed us? The Holy Spirit. He lives in us. Now, what does sealed mean? It's official. You can't take it back. You, just like you can't get your $1,000 check back, you can't, God's not going to leave. So for you to lose your salvation means the Holy Spirit has to go to hell. And that ain't happening. (laughs) If you were ever saved, a friend of mine had a niece said, Oh, I've given up on on God. I I reject him. I I don't want him anymore. He went, well, that's not possible. (laughs) So what are you talking about? So, well, if you were a believer, he's in you and he ain't leaving. Do you know that? You say, well, what about all these people running around sinning? Only two options. One, they're in rebellion, or number two, they're not saved. And if you're not saved, you better receive, you ought to receive Christ. And if you are a believer in Christ, you better start acting right, because he ain't going to let you keep doing that. Read Hebrews 12, if you don't believe me. He says, he disciplines his children. He'll bring you back in line if you won't listen. In Colossians, 1, Colossians, uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul said, turn that guy over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Not his soul, but his flesh. Because we don't want that example living as a Christian. So I just, if you're living in known sin, brother, you ought to repent. Because God wants you to repent. He wants to love you. He wants to bless you. He wants to give you all the riches of heaven. He is the down payment. And Ephesians 1 lets us know this is our I mean, and Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1, this is our hope of glory that Christ lives in us and this is the hope of Jesus being born in a manger this is what gives us that excitement that anticipation because the mystery revealed and fulfilled in the church is Jesus Christ our savior and so I want to ask you this a couple of few questions to close it out are you anticipating the fulfillment of that purchase Are you anticipating the purchase? God bought you. The word redeem means to buy out of the marketplace. There was a price for you to get forgiven of your sin. It was a sacrifice that went way beyond 
multitudes of animals. It had to be a perfect human sacrifice. And God took that on himself to make the perfect human sacrifice for you and me. And his name is Christ Jesus. And so secondly, I would have you rejoice literally in the hope of Jesus. I don't mean go, yes, I'm rejoicing in Jesus. I mean go home and have a holy fit. You know, we do it in church, but we're Baptists, so we can't do that, right? I just, man, you get a hold of this, and, and you're just going to sing a holy hallelujah. That Christ lives in us, and my presence in heaven is as sure as that. That when this body dies, the spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, that lives in me and you, is going back home. And I'm going with him. Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And lastly, make Jesus your hope. I tell you, there's no other hope. Men hope in a lot of things. We hope in diets. <laughs> we hope in gymnasiums <laughs> to get healthy. We hope in political parties to maybe finally do something right. We hope in religions. We hope in philosophies. We hope in a lot of stuff. But there's only one hope. And it's in Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that not only did you die for us, but you provided the down payment of the final purchase. We anticipate getting to move into the dwelling place that you told us about in John 14. I'm going to build you a dwelling place, preparing a room for you in dad's house. And I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit as a down payment that you're going to have a room there. And so, Lord, we can rejoice knowing that. That it is as secure and as sure as the very person of God. And Lord, there may be people here that don't know you. Lord, that maybe they finally realize, I need Jesus. And I pray right now in Jesus' name, and only you can do this by the Holy Spirit. Lord, show them their need of you, that they might come to you now and be saved. Lord, those of us who claim the name, we say we are believers. But we've been living a life that does not reflect your glory. May we repent right now, turn away from our sin, dedicate ourselves to giving 100% to you of all we are and all we have and all we will ever be. For you alone can be trusted. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Would you stand? We're going to sing an invitation hymn. The invitation is I'm inviting you. If you need to do business with God, you can come pray. If you need to know Christ, you need, want somebody to help you with that, come meet me right here. I'm going to stand right there. Come talk to me and we will help you with that even now. So you come as we start singing.